Today's scripture reading is taken from Genesis chapter 43, verse 26, to chapter 44, verse 17. I will be reading from the English Standard Version. Verse 26 of chapter 43. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them and bowed down to him to the ground. And he inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he alive? They said, Your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother, of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out, and controlling himself, he said, Serve the food. They served him by himself, and them by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with them, uh, with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the he Egyptians. And they said before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table. But Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs, and they ate and they drank and were merry with him. Then he commanded the steward of his house, fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack, and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, with his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph told him. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys. They had gone only a short distance from the city. Now Joseph said to his steward, Up, follow after the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not from this that my Lord drinks? And by this that he practiced divination? You have done evil in doing this. When he overtook them, he spoke to them these words. They said to him, why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money that we found in the mouths of our sacks were brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then can we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die. And we also will be my Lord's servants. He said, Let it be as you say, he who is found with it shall be my servant, and the rest of you shall be innocent. Then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack. And he searched, beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him to the ground. Joseph said to them, what deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? And Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? 
Or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also in whose hand the cup has been found. But he said, Far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose, the hand, whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. May God help us to hear his word. Thanks, Louis, for reading God's word for us this morning. Good morning, beloved. Good morning. Good morning. No, Eugene did not mysteriously gain loads of weight in one week. As of yesterday, he has fever and body ache. And of late afternoon yesterday, he texted me and confirmed that he has dengue. So do keep Eugene in prayer. For our friends and visitors who are with us the first or second time, I'm Oliver. I'm one of our pastors serving the elders team here at Grace Baptist Church. And for this morning, I will be preaching Eugene's sermon in his place. So beloved, let us pray that God will prepare our heart to receive his word and to enable me to preach his word faithfully and well. Let us pray. Father God, you are God who is holy love and you have loved us as your own but we rejected you and turned away from you when we sinned. Yet now, through the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us on the cross, we guilty rebels to your rule can find forgiveness and pardon. Now we can be reconciled to you and enjoy this relationship with you as it was originally meant to be. As we look into your word today, we pray that your Holy Spirit be our teacher and guide, that your word be our rule and authority, and that your glory be our primary concern. Help all of us see Jesus Christ as revealed in your word. And then, Lord, enable us to live a life shaped by the cross of Christ. Grant that this preaching of your word magnifies Jesus Christ. We pray this for our good and for the praise of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do our lives have meaning or is life simply random a series of events and experiences without any purpose or direction psychiatrist ralph lewis thinks we'll be happier if we can accept that life has no meaning in a 2019 psychology today article dr lewis expressed his belief that the universe is fundamentally random that there is no higher purpose or plan. Therefore, we shouldn't seek for meaning because that will lead us only to unhappy, unhappiness, disappointment, and confusion. Interestingly, however, Dr. Lewis acknowledges that humans are not wired to accept randomness. We seek for meaning and purpose. We prefer order and control to chaos. But according to Dr. Lewis, we shouldn't trust our intuitions. We will be better off if we come to terms with life in a random universe. But beloved, what if there is indeed a divine author who is sovereign, good, and wise? Wouldn't then our peace and joy and meaning be found in him? You know, in recent weeks of our sermon series, True Genesis, we have been looking at the life of Joseph. 
And when we first met Joseph in Genesis 37, Joseph looks as if he was destined for great things. He tells his family about his two dreams, which predicts how his parents and brothers were bowed out to him. But thereafter, Joseph's life goes downhill. His jealous brothers sell him into slavery. Then Joseph is falsely accused and unjustly in prison. And only after more than 20 long years of suffering, trouble and tribulation, does Joseph's life take a turn for the better. Impressed by Joseph's ability to interpret dreams, Pharaoh appoints him as governor of Egypt. What are we to make of Joseph's life? What are we to make of our own lives? Do our lives really have meaning? Or is, as uh, uh, the psychiatrist uh, Dr. Lewis uh, says, is our life simply random? A series of events and experiences without any purpose or direction. We'll hear today how Joseph understood all that has happened to him. Did he think that it was a series of mostly unfortunate events? Or was there method and purpose behind the seeming madness of pain and sorrow? Joseph's theology or Joseph's understanding of God and God's ways affected his outlook on life and how he lived. Beloved, we too have a theology. We have a way in which we view God and how God works, whether we articulate it or not. And this theology affects how we understand our lives and shapes how we respond to difficult experiences and relationships. So let Joseph's story, the, the fact that Joseph's story shows us that life isn't random, that God is in control, that His purposeful providence makes sense of our lives, let this guide our, our theology. And, and this is then the big idea of today's passage. God graciously reveals our sin, leads us to repent, and works all things to save His people. And we'll see this covered in the three sections of today. Um, the first section in, from uh, Genesis 44, 1 to 17, we see that God graciously reveals our sin. Uh, in verses 18 to 34 of Genesis 44, we see that God graciously leads us to repent. And in the last section, we see that God graciously works for our salvation. And that's chapter 45. May we trust in this God who works by His grace for our good. Here's a quick recap of the story so far. You know, thanks to Joseph, Egypt stocked up on grain and is prepared for a famine. And, and Jacob sends his sons to Egypt to buy food. After years, Joseph sees his brothers again. He recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. Accusing them of being spies, Joseph tells them, to bring his, their younger, youngest brother Benjamin to Egypt to prove their honesty. Until then, second brother Simeon will remain in Egypt. And because Benjamin is Jacob's favorite, he initially refuses to let him go. If you recall, Jacob and Benjamin are the sons of Rachel, Jacob's favorite wife. Thinking that Jacob has died, Jacob fears losing Benjamin as well, and so is overly protective over Benjamin. But the famine gets worse. 
the promised family starts to run out of food, Jacob has no choice but to let Benjamin go with his brothers to Egypt to buy more food. Jacob is persuaded by Judah, who pledges and promises to keep Benjamin safe. Seeing Benjamin in Egypt brings Joseph to tears. But he weeps in private, being careful not to reveal his identity to his brothers. And then we see Benjamin gets preferential treatment. His portion of food is five times as much as the rest of the brothers. But the brothers, they do not complain. They happily eat and drink with Joseph. So the brothers have passed the first test. They are honest in their dealings with Joseph. It also appears that they have come to terms with their father's favoritism. Joseph purposely favours Benjamin. He gives him five times the amount of food. But the brothers, they are not envious at all. But have the brother's heart truly changed? You know, Proverbs 17, 17 says, A brother is born for adversity. Trials often reveal the genuineness of our love for one another. Will the brothers remain faithful to Benjamin? Or will they forsake Benjamin at the first sign of trouble? The brothers must pass one more test. Joseph tells the steward, to put his silver cup in Benjamin's sack. Then he tells the steward to pursue the brothers to recover the stolen cup. The steward accuses the brothers who protest their innocence. And, and see, you see how the, the confident the brothers are of one another. Instead of blaming one another, they boldly say with one accord in verse 9, whichever of your servant is found with it shall die, and we also shall be our Lord's servant. And then the steward softens, what, uh, by what he say, softens the statement by what he says. It is enough for the guilty one to remain in Egypt as a servant. The rest of the brothers will go free. We see this in verse 10. The brothers search, are searched from the eldest to the youngest. And the cup is found in Benjamin's possession. Joseph wisely stages this crisis to test if the brothers truly care for Benjamin, will they remain faithful to the youngest sibling? Or will they abandon him, just like they abandoned Joseph all that years ago? And the brothers' response, they tear their clothes. Their distress show that they are no longer indifferent towards the well-being of their father and brother. Judah emerges as the leaders of the brothers. And we see this in verse 14. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, Judah says to Joseph, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? How can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Verse 16. Judah here, we see, he acknowledges that God has exposed their guilt. But, but wait a minute, you know, aren't the brothers innocent of stealing the cup? Yes, but Judah wasn't specifically referring to the cup here. Judah, on behalf of his brothers, is confessing their sins against Joseph that many years ago. All this time, the brothers have concealed their sin, they've hidden their sin. They continue to de deceive their father. 
letting him live with the grief of losing Joseph. But now the brothers realize that they can no longer hide. God uses Joseph to convict the brothers of their sin. You know, beloved, we may be able for a while to hide our sin from our nearest and dearest, but we cannot hide from God. God knows all things. He hears the words that we speak. He sees our actions. He knows our hearts, our innermost attitudes, motives, and desires. Hebrews 4.13 tells us, No creature is hidden from God's sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. God's judgment will come. In today's story, now is the day of salvation. Now, beloved, do not become complacent or comfortable with our sin. Do do not let our hearts be deceived and hardened by sin. For this reason, we realize we regularly confess our sins together, just as we did just now, as we come together for corporate worship. This is to serve for us as a weekly reminder of our need, our desperate need for God, for His forgiveness, and to keep us turning back to God. And what hidden sin is God calling us to confess? Proverbs 28.13 tells us, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Trials and sufferings can make us angry and bitter. But understanding God's goodness and how He works in our lives helps us with regards to our afflictions as God's tough grace conforms us to Christ. He leads us through hard times to humble us and change us. How can we understand this? You know, um, I have some plants in my courtyard. For those who have visited my house, you know, I have some plants. You know, they don't do quite well, but doesn't mean I don't try to care for them. So as I care for my plant, I'll water them. I'll add fertilizers. You know, sometimes I'll add a little bit of uh, um, uh, weed killer. But most of what I do is this. If I look at a plant and I see spots on the leaf, I will take my scissors and cut off the diseased portion of the plant. When you cut off a diseased or rotten part of the plant, you do this for its health. You're helping it to grow better. Likewise, trials are severe mercy from God who wounds us that He might heal us. Trials are not punishment, but God's gracious and loving discipline to call us back to Him. As the psalmist tells us, In uh, Psalm 119, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Convicted of their sins, the brothers refused to abandon Benjamin in Egypt, but instead choose to bear the consequences with him. Judah says, We are my Lord's servant. Both we and he also in whose had the cup been found, verse 16. But Joseph wants to make sure he offers the brothers a way out. Far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. Verse 17. 
Joseph offers a way out. Will the brothers change their mind and takes up Joseph's offer of escape? And we see how the story progresses in the next section as we see the change that has happened in Judah's heart. We see this in uh, chapter 44, verse 18 to 34. So if you have a Bible, please open up your Bible and follow with me as I read uh, these verses for us. Verse 18, Then Judah went up to him and said, O my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears, and let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a young brother, a child of his old age. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servant, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. And we, say, we said to my Lord, The boy cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, Unless your younger brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And when our father said, Go again, buy us a little food, we said, We cannot go down. If our youngest brothers go with, with us, then we will go down. For we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me, and I said, Surely he has been torn to pieces, for I have not seen him since. If you take this one also from me, and harm happens to him, you shall bring down my grey hair in evil to Sheol. Now therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servant will bring down the grey hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that will find my father. Judah again steps up to speak. And significantly, his speech is one of the longest in Genesis. And it is a powerful testimony of the grace of God who changes us and leads us to repent. You know, we see Judah's flaws and failings in the earlier chapters. You know, previously we see how Judah resented his father for showing favoritism to Joseph, how he convinced his brothers to sell Joseph into slavery, not caring about how he will break his father's heart to lose his favorite son. After all these years, Jacob still dotes on his younger son. Overlooking his other sons, uh, Jacob says in uh, verse 38, Benjamin's brother Joseph is dead and he is the only one left. 
we see that Jacob hasn't changed. The father hasn't changed. But Judah has. Notice how he mentions his father again and again in his plea to Joseph. In verse 20, he alone is left with his mother's children and his father loves him. Verse 22, if he should leave his father, his father would die. Verse 30 to 31, his life is bound out in the boy's life. As soon as he sees the boy is not with us, he will die and your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. And finally, in verse 34, I fear to see the evil that will find my father. You see how Judas' uh, speech revealed his heart. In his heart now, he concerns, he is really concerned and he cares deeply for his father. Judas seeks mercy not for himself, but he intercedes for his father's sake. He is worried that Jacob will die of sorrow should Benjamin be lost. He implores and pleads with Joseph to let Benjamin go, that no harm may befell his father. Joseph has repented of his resentment and hatred. Previously, a jealous Judah convinced his brothers to sell Joseph as a slave into Egypt. But now, Judah leads his brothers to care for their father's favorite son. Love and affection has replaced envy and animosity. This is evidence of genuine growth, of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Our love for others isn't conditional, but gracious. Though it's like that difficult person may not have changed, but because God has changed our hearts, we can respond differently to Him and to her. We can take the initiative to love others because God has first loved us. Judah's love shows self-sacrifice. Once selfish, he now selflessly offers himself as a substitute takes Benjamin's place so that the younger brother can go free. And we see this in verse 32 to 33. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. And get this, he offers himself as, uh, you know, to be in place of Benjamin. Now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. You know, Joseph has been the main character in all these chapters in Genesis. But this is also a story of how God's grace transforms Judah. God has changed him from a hateful, lustful, resentful man to someone who lays down his life for others. You know, blinded by favoritism, Jacob may not have been the most concerned about... Sorry, uh, yeah, blinded by his favoritism, Jacob may not have been concerned about Joseph and Benjamin. But see how God has worked in the hearts of Judah and God has now restored another son to Jacob. Like the prodigal son of Jesus' parable, wayward Judah has returned to his father. Beloved, this 
gracious God is our salvation and hope. Like Judah, we all have flaws and failings and sins. Like Jacob, fractured family, our sin has led to broken relationships. But God, but God, who brings us through trials and suffering to reveal our sin, graciously calls and leads us to repent. Judah's transformation from a careless sinner who cares only for himself to a compassionate son and brother points us to this precious truth that God's grace is greater than our sin. So don't lose heart, beloved, because of our sins. Our God is strong and mighty to save. Previously, Judah led his brothers to sin by selling Joseph into slavery. But now Judah leads his brothers in repentance. And he shows us what godly leadership looks like. Many of us are in a position of responsibility in the family, in our workplaces, in our schools, even in, in this church. You know, authority is often abused in the world. But how can we, as God's people, do differently? and use our authority and influence to bless others. And the way to do this is to understand that godly leadership seeks to serve and not to be served. It sacrifices self for others' sake. God's gracious work in Judah's life sets the stage for future kings to come from the tribe of Judah. Jacob himself comes to realize this later. In chapter 49 of Genesis, there we see how he blesses Judah with these words. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Judah's offer for a sacrifice, to be a, uh, Judah's offer to be a sacrifice, to be a substitute in, in uh, Benjamin's place, recalls how God provided a ram as a sacrificial offering to take Isaac's place. And this sets the pattern for us because Judah's sacrificial love also points us to the coming king, King Jesus, who will lay down his life as a substitute to atone for his people's sin. How would Joseph then respond to Judah's change? And we see this in the last section for today, in uh, chapter 45. Again, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to chapter 45 and follow with me as I read the remaining uh, 30 or so verses. Chapter, uh, ver chapter 45, verse 1. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, so that the Egyptian, Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. 
For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine had been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither ploughing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to be kept alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, the lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry, go up to my father and say to him, Thus say your son Joseph, God has made me lord over all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, and your flocks and your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my ben brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all the honour in Egypt and all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servant. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, Do this, load your bees and go back to the land of Canaan and take your father and your households and come to me and I will give you the best in the land of Egypt and you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, Do this, Take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods for all the best, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Beloved, for a broken relationship to be truly reconciled and restored, there must be honest confession and repentance and genuine repentance. For years, Joseph's brothers tried to cover up their sins. But now, thanks to God's purposeful providence in bringing about the meeting between Joseph and his brothers, there is now opportunity to make things right. As we have seen, God graciously reveals sin and leads sinners to turn back to Him. Judah's confession and repentance opened the door to reconciliation. He is willing to bear the cause of sin that heals, the, uh, bear the cause of sin so that he can heal the divide. Beloved, is there a broken relationship that God is calling us to put right? How is God calling us to be peacemakers by humbly confessing and repenting of sin? How is God calling us to reconcile? by asking, calling us to give out the right, our right to be right so that we can once again uh, restore that relationship with a fellow brother or sister. The brothers, they passed Joseph's test. The moment of reconciliation has come. Joseph's compassion for his brothers 
overflow in a torrent of joyful tears. You know, at long last, Joseph made himself known to his brothers and is reunited with his family. I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But the brothers are too stunned and terrified to answer Joseph, who is now in a position to take revenge. You know, they have put Joseph through years of pain. How can Joseph forgive them for causing him such hurt? Yet, Joseph does forgive. He graciously invites them, Come near to me, please. How is it that Joseph can forgive? Joseph can forgive because he trusts in God. His forgiveness is based on his spiritual insight into the workings of God's sovereign grace, of God's purposeful providence. Although Joseph suffered much because of his brother's sins, he trusts God to work all things for good. Joseph understands that God fulfills his purposes even through human wickedness, even through our pain. He doesn't excuse his brother's sin, but he can also see the bigger picture of God's good plan. Three times, Joseph in his verses emphasizes God's sovereignty in bringing him to Egypt. In verse 5, And now do not be distressed or angry with yourself because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. And then verse 7 to 8, And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep you alive for many survivors, for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. The grand purpose behind Joseph's suffering is revealed. God was being faithful to his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God promised Abraham a people, a land, and blessing. So he brought Joseph to Egypt to preserve Abraham's descendants during the famine so that his offspring will bless the nations. Seeing God's sovereign hand behind his brothers helped Joseph see God's goodness and grace. God indeed worked all things for good, even through human wickedness and injustice. Beloved, God graciously works for our salvation. When we submit to God and to His good and wise sovereignty, He gives us grace to forgive others. We can trust God, whose ways are higher than ours. We can let go of our grudges and entrust ourselves to our loving Heavenly Father, who promises good to His people. If we insist on keeping a record of wrongs, is it because we are too proud and too self-righteous to trust God that God will make things right? Jealousy and hate separated Joseph and his brothers. When his brothers saw that his, their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. We see this earlier in Genesis 37, verse 4. But now in verse 15, we see how God's grace leads to reconciliation. He kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, 
his brother's talk with him. Repentance, forgiveness, and reconciliation lead to blessing. Joseph asked his brothers to bring their father to Egypt where they would be generously provided for. Pharaoh invites uh, Joseph's family, take your father and your household, come to me, and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you shall eat the fat of the land. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. All the best are now theirs. And at the end of Genesis, after their father Jacob dies, the brothers are again unsure if Joseph has truly forgiven them. There, in chapter 50 of Genesis, we see how Joseph again assures his brothers with the truth of God's sovereign goodness and grace. We see this in chapter 50, verse 19 and 20, as Joseph assures his brothers, Do not fear, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many should be kept alive. Beloved, the universe is not random. The story of Joseph and his brothers tells us of how God graciously worked for our salvation by bringing good out of evil. We can trust Him for hope, joy and peace because we have seen how God has raised another son of Abraham who obeyed through suffering to bless the world. You know, Jacob feared losing his favorite son, but God gave his beloved son Jesus to suffer and die for unworthy sinners like us. Like his earthly ancestor Judah, Jesus offered himself as our substitute. But unlike Judah, Jesus was perfectly innocent. Yet he bore our guilt and took on our judgment. Jesus endured evil done against him, but God meant it for good, to save sinners like us. Our wickedness nailed Jesus to the cross, but our sin could not hold him in the grave. God raised Jesus in victory over sin and death. If we repent and trust in Jesus, then we will enjoy the blessings our sins forgiven and reconciliation with God. We will get to know God as our Father God. Do our lives have meaning or is life simply random? A series of events and experiences without any purpose or direction. Jesus endured the worst suffering to Him to bring about the greatest good. Therefore, if we are in Christ, we can be sure that God has indeed worked all things together for our eternal good. We need not fear, though we suffer with Christ, for we shall be glorified with Him. Jesus is our hope, and in Him we find salvation, blessing, purpose, and meaning. Let us pray. Father God, you are God of steadfast love and mercy. You gave us your Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross in our place for our many sins. Though our sins are many, God, your mercy is more. Now, through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, we are now reconciled to you. 
Help us to come before you to confess our sins, believing that you will forgive our iniquities. Grow in us a heart that desires a relationship with you, O God, and help us as a church to encourage each other to trust in your purposeful providence as we wait for Jesus Christ's return. Help us also to seek reconciliation with one another, just as we have been reconciled to you through Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.